I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. June is Pride Month, although I'd argue that every month should be about loving others no matter what they look like, what their sexual orientation is, or what their life story is. In my opinion, as long as you aren't hurting anyone else, you have every right to be you, just like I have every right to be me. But I really wanted to talk to someone because I'm curious, how are companies and investors supporting the LGBTQIA community?
Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. Before we hit the record button, my guest and fellow millennial Jay Lipman, co-founder and president of the fintech asset management sustainable investing firm Ethic, let me know that he was somewhat of a podcast virgin. But you would never know. Looking at his credits, he would totally surprise you. He was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs in 2018 and is so passionate about sustainable investing, impact investing, social entrepreneurship, whatever word you want to use here, Jay is passionate about it. He believes that you can both make a difference and make a profit with your investing practice, which as we've talked about before, is really this long-held myth that you can't have both of those things together. They don't coexist. We did a deep dive into how you can build a sustainable investing practice on really any amount of money that you have. But to start out, I was super curious about that idea of investors aligning their portfolios with companies that are committed to the LGBTQIA plus community. Is that really happening? So Jay, I am excited to have you on the podcast today. I think this is going to be an incredible episode. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, Shanna. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be here and excited to uh, hear your questions. Yes, I heard this is your very first podcast, so <laughs> I promise to be, to be gentle. Indeed, I am a little green, so I apologize if I make any massive mistakes. You've got to bear with me. No, there's absolutely no mistakes. I love it. And, you know, I wanted to start out kind of a heavy topic, but seeing as we're in June, which is is Pride Month, uh, the the idea of investors aligning portfolios with their values, putting more money towards companies that are really committed to uh, LGBTQ community is, I think, a really great leap forward that has needed to happen towards really bringing this idea of, of equality in the investing world. But I, I'd love to hear from you, like, how is this happening and, and why are you seeing this happen? Of course. Yeah, no, look, we're, we're just as excited to, to be doing this work and to be talking about it. And I think that a good way to think about how people and, you know, ethic is incorporating this kind of values alignment into our portfolios is really to look at what it is that, you know, values alignment means as it pertains to investing. And the way that we see it is, you know, how is it that companies treat the most important resources that they have, both people and the planet? And I think that with regards to, you know, LGBTQIA and how uh, companies use uh, their own resources, their own practices, their own actions to either, um, you know, help or to harm that community, there's a right. huge amount of data that exists as it pertains to what kind of actions companies are doing to fall either on the positive end of the spectrum or the negative end of the spectrum. And, you know, we can dig into what those specific factors are, or we can specific, uh, look at specific examples, but it is a really interesting conversation because it's something that we're very passionate about because, you know, companies, you know, should treat the, their resources with respect, right? They should understand yes. that both their employees and their customers uh, are very susceptible to the actions that these large corporations have. So to be able to understand what it is that um, these companies can be doing to fall on the side of that spectrum is very powerful. 
Yeah, I would love to dive into to some examples if you have. But I just, when you were speaking, it reminds me of a episode that I did, um, I think, earlier this year. And uh, I was shocked that the guest talked about in certain states, and I live in Los Angeles, so perhaps I'm a little bit immune to this or not immune, but I, it's just not in my everyday world. But in certain states, uh, working for certain companies, even if you had a picture up of you and your same gendered spouse, mm. that would be grounds for being fired. And I mean, that just still in, in 2019, that it absolutely blows my mind. So, um, you know, I was just reminded when you were saying that, like how, you know, I, it's interesting how some companies don't see their employees as very valuable to the growth of their company. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting point, right? Because it, it all goes down to the policies that these companies have. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, what's really interesting, and this is getting, you know, quite granular quite quickly, but I, I, <laughs> I, I love this topic, so I'm happy to dive in. But if you look at the federal laws that actually, um, you know, protect people within uh, their relationship of working with a company, right? These uh, protections actually consistently afford protections around workplace discrimination on the basis of race, uh, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, uh, disability, but they don't afford the same protections on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And wow. what that means is that you know companies have to make a conscious decision to step back and say, we are going to implement these policies proactively and protect these people that are our people, these are our employees, and we're going to make a statement by doing so. Now, fortunately, there are groups out there, uh, like the Human Rights Campaign and the work they do with the, the Corporate Equality Index to actually go and understand which of those companies have decided to make that proactive decision. And, you know, very importantly, which of those companies have not made that decision. Well, wow, so is that data then, is that data, I guess, accessible to anybody, whether you're an investor or if you're looking to, to work for that company? Fortunately, that data is available. You know, you can go to the uh, Corporate Equality Index, you can Google it, and you can understand which of those companies are doing great work and which of those companies are lagging and are falling behind. And fortunately, that transparency, which is a very important theme for us, you know, giving investors the ability to understand what these companies are doing uh, can be in people's hands so they can make the right decision as to where they put their money or, you know, ultimately where to work and where not to work based on, you know, what kind of environment they want to be in. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that's a great information to have. And you talked about this word transparency. And I know we've done a lot of episodes on socially responsible investing. And, uh, you know, I think this topic, particularly with millennials, is something that is really resonating. And certainly if we're talking about the LGBTQIA community, like people want to put their money with companies that they feel are doing ethically the right thing or whatever they're passionate about, you know, why are you seeing these shifts in, in transparency and in this desire for people, particular investors, to put their money in these types of companies? I mean, particularly within the context of, you know, who your listeners are, right? Yeah. Millennials, right? I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm, I'm very excited to be a millennial. And, you know, our <laughs> team is made up of millennials. And I think that there's almost an audacity that millennials have to want more. Yes. To challenge the status quo and to say, look, not only do I know that it should be possible to align my portfolio with my values, I want the transparency to know what's going on 
so that I can make the right decision. And, and a good example um, that we use quite a lot is that we liken it a lot to the kind of explosion in demand uh, for organic food. Because yes. you know, 15, <laughs> 20 years ago, people started saying, wait, I should probably know what I'm eating. I should probably know what's <laughs> in this food. I should know what the effects of growing this food are. And you know, that's happening in investing. You know, investors are now empowered to be asking the questions and demanding cleaner portfolios as a result. Interesting. I was uh, watching, I don't know if you were watching this at all, but the, the company, the uh, Beyond Meat company mm. that happens to be everywhere now that I turn around, even in places I'm like, really? You have a Beyond Meat burger now? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they just did their IPO and uh, it was it was crazy, you know, I, watching it for a couple of days um, and then reading some articles about, you know, why certain investors were really excited about Beyond Meat and yet they have a million different competitors mm-hmm. in their space. And I just think it's, it's really interesting to watch some of these organic or alternate choice companies like really get some, you know, I don't know if it's a millennial lift or whatever it is, but um, it's it's definitely interesting to watch that happen. Uh, what's really interesting is, you know, uh, looking at the share price today, right? You know, their, <laughs> their share price has done incredibly well because, I mean, there's a number of reasons for it, but what they did, which I get really excited about, which I think, you know, that same inflection point is happening in sustainable investing is that they yeah. are providing a product to the market that people want regardless of whether or not they're vegetarian because it tastes yes. as good if not better and with sustainable investing you know there's a very important point in an investor's life where they realize wait i don't have to give up returns in order to align my portfolio with my values and because of that i can choose to eat a meat free burger that has a smaller carbon footprint because it's delicious not just because i'm trying to save the world and when you can do both those things and when a product does provide you the value and the quality of you know being as good as the alternative, then you don't need to really make a trade-off. And I think that for a long time in food and in investing, there was always this idea of a trade-off and that doesn't exist anymore, right? There, there fortunately right. can be a way to do both. And that's really exciting. I mean, I'm a certified financial planner and I would, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, people weren't talking about... Uh, sustainable investing mm-hmm. in in correlation with hey, and you can also get a good return. Th- those conversations weren't happening, and so I, I think it's I, it's really such an incredible um, evolution, if you will, that that there's really so many different options for people depending mm-hmm. on how much money you have. You know, if you have a very little amount of money to invest, up to you know really wealthy investors that you can put your money places and, and get a good return, and you can feel good about where you put your money. Yeah, no, no, we we, we completely agree. And uh, what's interesting about you know our backgrounds are largely institutional, so we came for uh, from a lot of large investment banks and financial institutions where we worked with a lot of larger, uh, more institutional type investors. And what's interesting is that they are driving this push, right? They are driving a lot of the shift towards sustainable and values-aligned investing, which means that mm. they demand such a high quality that what gives us confidence is that if it's good enough for them, then retail investors that do want confidence around the the fact that these investments can perform as well or potentially be a better way to seek longer-term returns, then there's at least that confidence that the largest, most sophisticated investors are doing it too. And it's not just right. being driven around the edges by smaller individual investors. And uh, we do believe, you know, at the core of our company that 
companies that choose to respect their resources, both human and natural, do actually achieve a long-term competitive advantage because they're doing things like investing in reducing their energy footprint, which then reduces costs, or they're creating a more transparent supply chain. So there's less chance of uh, negative news articles and, and huge risks. And you know, because of that, it's actually a way to investors to say, I feel more comfortable about the opportunities this portfolio is creating, but also the risks it is mitigating because of the transparency I've, I've been looking for in my portfolio. So I'm really interested, you know, a lot of our listeners are newer investors uh, just starting out. Maybe they don't have a ton of money to to build a big investing practice, but they're really focused on building sustainable investing practice, even focused on investing in companies that support LGBTQ companies. Uh, what should they do? Like, what should their their steps be? How should they go about finding these different companies to really build this practice? Well, I think something that, you know, having listened to your podcast and, and, you know, heard the great advice you give about teaching people the basics, when someone is starting and investing, they shouldn't necessarily chase the shiny lights, right? Because the beyond meets of the world, these, you know, these specific instances are very exciting, but the bedrock and a foundation of a portfolio should be that, that we believe should be that equity and fixed income chunk that really, you know, uh, that allocation that can be a foundation that you can build exciting things on top of. So with regards to sustainable options in both the kind of passive equity and passive fixed income worlds, fortunately, there's a huge amount of options that you can uh, utilize through exchange-traded funds or in the way that we do things through uh, separately managed accounts, um, which replicate the exposure or performance of an ETF, um, but through a direct indexing approach. Now, Within uh, impact and within sustainability and within values aligned investing, there can be uh, what we would believe to be potential pitfalls because people can over allocate to asset classes that are of a higher risk. And that's what you usually find in these one off impact deals or uh, these opportunities that should be part of a broader, more diversified allocation, um, but should not be the only thing you're investing in. So if someone is starting out for the first time, they shouldn't necessarily pile everything into, you know, one or two companies they really love. They shouldn't pile everything into, you know, one or two uh, specific, you know, uh, solar farm projects or anything of that nature. They should really start with the basics, which is something that I've heard you talk about a lot, uh, and build that foundation that they can supplement with those one-off opportunities that they are very excited by. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical. If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. 
You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. 
Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in The Daily Book Club. Today's Money in 5, have you heard MasterCard will now allow transgender customers to use their preferred name on debit and credit cards. This story just broke this week as MasterCard said they wanted to create a policy aimed at reducing major stress for transgender and non-binary customers. So it's called the True Name Card, and it's going to allow cardholders to choose their preferred name even if it doesn't match their legal name. Now, this is huge. This is a big move for a credit card company. And I would imagine there's going to be a few bumps in the road as they try to roll this out. But basically, they're creating this private, secure process where they're going to ask personal questions to help figure out the preferred name for your debit or credit card. So I found a couple quotes from past Millennial Money guests, and Ted Rossman from CreditCards.com said that he thinks this is a really good thing, and it feels like common sense. And I totally agree with Ted. I mean, this feels like the right move to make. It feels like just what is supposed to happen. Like, why haven't credit cards done this before? Matt Schultz from Compare Cards, another Millennial Money guest, says, Airline loyalty accounts typically require you to use your legal name, and that is on your driver's license or passport. If you want to collect reward points with your credit card and have them match with an airline loyalty card, you will have to have your legal name with that credit card. Interesting. So MasterCard is the first credit card to launch an update like this. They're really leading the pack. And I would imagine that it's not going to be too long before Visa, Amex, all the other credit cards, especially the major players, pick up on this. They might wait to see how it goes with MasterCard. Maybe MasterCard work out a few kinks. Maybe they might, quote unquote, borrow a few things from their process. But I don't suspect they're going to be too far behind. And I I always think it's interesting. I love to watch the stock prices when an announcement like this comes out to see how investors are responding, whether they think this is a good thing or not such a good thing. It's just interesting to watch that happen. But in any event, again, like I said in my opening statement, opening statement, and now I feel like I'm an attorney. (laughs) If I get to be me, then why shouldn't you get to be you? It really is, I think, just this fundamental question. No matter where you fall on the political belief spectrum or what religion you are, I'm just, I so hope that we can all agree that loving other people is one of the best ways to better our society. And that if we did it more, perhaps we would all be a lot better off particularly if we didn't feel a need to put people down or even compete with people, because I think that that does such a disservice for us, especially when it comes to our money. And hey, I'm the first one that's going to raise my hand and say that I have definitely been guilty of that in my past, competing with people and buying things I didn't need. And gosh, if I could just have that money back, I would so do it differently. So I'm all all for this. I'm all for people feeling like they belong, feeling like like they're just 
regular people because that's what we all are. We all are just people. We all breathe. We all go to sleep at night. We all get up in the morning. I mean, we all share so many common things that it just is always baffles my mind that we as humans find every reason we can to separate ourselves from other people. And I just really think that's so not doing us justice. So I'm curious, how do you feel about MasterCard's new policy? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I'm just curious, I know that you were named a Forbes 30 under 30 social entrepreneur in 2018, which is a great honor. Thank you. But, you know, what led you to a career in social entrepreneurship? Is this something you've always been really focused on or did this evolve over time? Very good question. A very existential question. <laughs> um, you know, I've been fortunate that I've always had a pretty strong draw towards uh, giving back. Um, and that can be seen through a lot of the uh, actions and work that I've done uh, through my life. Um, you know, whether it was moving to northern Tanzania when I was 18 um, to, to work out there or uh, actually getting malaria and having to come back. But uh, oh my a, a short-lived uh, stint, sadly. But um, you know, I ended up going into finance because I realized that there's only so much that I could do in person on the ground. But if you can change systems, then you can actually have a much bigger impact. So I wanted to understand what those systems were. So I ended up going to finance and I learned a very esoteric skill set when in finance and was very fortunate to team up with two individuals that are very values aligned and very um, impact driven, but much more intelligent than I am and, and uh, much more gifted around the product and the technology side. And, uh, you know, we teamed up because we believed that we could use the skill sets that we had developed to actually accelerate the transition to sustainable investing and have as much of an impact as possible with the unique skill sets that we have. And I think that that's something that everyone is afforded with is everyone has a skill set. Everyone has an understanding. You know, you teach people yes. about uh, investing. You teach the millennials and, and the young generation about how to build their financial future because that's your skill set. That's your superpower. Everyone has that skill set and a superpower, and we believe they can use that for good if they find the right medium to do so. So ours is this, and you know everyone has that potential to find what theirs is if they if they uh, focus on it. I love that. I'm just picturing us all wa walking around with capes with our superpower on. So, <laughs> I, hey, I, I, have a, I have a mental image that I walk around with, and I think that it's um, it's a little bit aligned with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So, you know, building ethic, uh, your company, and and being in this uh, sustainable investing space, was there any pushback in building a company around sustainable investing? Yes. Yeah. When we first started the company, uh, that that sea change, whilst it was happening, had most certainly not occurred, and I think that. You know, in the last 18 months, we've been the huge beneficiary of a shift in consumer sentiment and recognition. This doesn't have to be concessionary. But uh, ultimately, before that, the lack of agreement that <laughs> this was something that people wanted to do on a mass scale made it really challenging for us to uh, build a team and to build a company and to, you know, raise funding for the organization because uh, people thought it was very niche. But you know, fortunately, we we persevered and and you know ultimately have have been brought to where we are now, which we're very grateful and, and privileged to be at that point. But um, you know, with all things of this nature, 
it starts off being very niche, right? It starts off with local health food shops, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And then you get Whole Foods who bring it mainstream right. and then uh, adopt, uh, uh, adopt that acceleration into the, into the public uh, forum. And then the large grocery stores, all of them now have an organic grocery aisle. And it's something that people demand and that's what people respond to. So that's what we believe is happening here in this industry is that acceleration and the, that mass adoption is really beginning now. That's a really interesting analogy because you're right, like seeing that evolve over time. I mean, buying organic even a few years ago, it was A, cost prohibitive uh, and B, it was hard to find certain things that were organic. And now it mm-hmm. feels like, like oh, I mean, I realize like, I live in a big city and it's, it's a lot more accessible to me. But um, but seeing that evolution of Whole Foods and uh, even now the Whole Foods Amazon uh, mm-hmm. collaboration, <laughs> it's uh, that's a really interesting analogy to compare it to, to that, you know, and to kind of watch that trend. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts with, as all of these movements do, a few really committed champions that had a much tougher journey than we've had. Like, we're very privileged to have come into this within the last few years. The foundation of this industry has been built by uh, the equivalent of those local organic food stores, right? And there's people in the space yeah. that have been doing this for a long time that have been really singing the praises of values of uninvesting. And then now, fortunately, the dams are breaking, uh, which is probably not the best example to use in a sustainable conversation. But um, <laughs> the dams are breaking and that mass adoption is really occurring because people are recognizing that you don't have to give up on the returns and you can reflect your values uh, in the same way that uh, you, it's actually a fantastic point. The Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods is the definition of the organic food movement going absolutely mainstream. So that's a fantastic example as well. Yeah. And what what trends are you seeing as we see this kind of dam break, if we will? Like, What trends are you seeing in the social sustainable investing space? Like, Where do you think this is going to evolve to even just in the next few years? It's a really good question. Uh, I hope I have the right answer. But ultimately, it is as much a conversation about people wanting to seek to align their portfolio with their values as it is about mitigating pretty immediate and long-term risks in your portfolio. Because if you're building a portfolio for $10,000 that is the basis of what you want to be your uh, retirement account in 50 years' time, you have to look at a 50-year horizon and say, if I'm going to be investing in companies today, I want those companies to be around in 50 years and to thrive in the future and the future economy of 20 years and 30 years and 50 years. So you have to take a different uh, mindset and say, well, um, if if a company is... Uh, creating a huge amount of carbon and a carbon tax is implemented in the next five or 10 years, then the resources and the assets of that company are going to be dramatically changed. And a lot of the assets they have, let's say it's oil in the ground, is going to become a stranded asset and that company could potentially go to nil, right? Now, if you look shorter term, what's really interesting and something that we see a lot every day, and we get this conversation with clients that we talk to literally two or three times a day is, What are the immediate risks that can be mitigated by giving you transparency into which companies are well-run versus those that aren't? And that's what we call governance, right? And that's transparency into things like, uh, you know, anti-discriminatory policies or um, a very interesting one recently has actually been product service and safety because some companies that have been scoring very low on product service and safety have actually had incidents, very public incidents in the news, and then their share price has gone down 20, 30% in a week. 
And if those companies had been removed, which our models would have indicated they should have been removed, then you've insulated from those risks, right? And that's a really interesting way to look at your portfolio as a mechanism for long-term and short-term risk mitigation, as well as all the benefits of seeking to align with your values around climate, social justice, and and, uh, the governance side. Interesting. Yeah. And this may be getting a little bit in the weeds, but I'd love your thoughts on this. If someone is a novice and they're trying to research these companies they're interested in investing in, they're trying to look at, you know, whether it's the anti-discriminatory policies or some sort of some sort of like underlying factor of why they might invest in these companies. How do they go about doing this? Is it is it just a, a Google and a digging around or what should somebody who doesn't really know what they're looking for look for? It's a very timely conversation because we've been having this conversation a lot internally. Uh, and I can assure you that in the near future, we're going to be uh, hopefully the answer to that question. But in the short term, it's about defining what your priority issues are. If your priorities are carbon footprint or carbon intensity or climate or uh, environmental controversy, then it's much easier to get an understanding about how companies are affecting those specific issue areas. If it's uh, with regards to um, gender equity or social justice or LGBTQIA rights, you know, by knowing the specific issues you want to understand, you can actually get a better understanding of that underlying data by using Google and by finding things like the the corporate equality index, which is what we talked about earlier. But, you know, in a general sense, it can be quite a confusing and complex conversation because there's so many issues that people want to ultimately implement into their portfolio across, you know, environmental, social and governance, which is what ultimately makes our job quite difficult is, you know, we've got to bring all that data together and help it to inform what our clients prioritize based on their personal values. Right. Yes. And that, that's a tricky assignment. <laughs> yes. And, and I know your company ethic isn't focused on individual investors per se, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing and, and what your company's up to. Of course. Yeah. I mean, so, so we're a technology enabled asset management platform that powers the creation of personalized investment solutions for advisors. So we work with uh, wealth advisors and financial advisors to build these portfolios for their clients. And in our current form, you know, we work with those partners and those intermediaries uh, to enable them to have this conversation with their clients before we look to uh, kind of work with the, the end and retail investor. And there's a few reasons that we do that, but ultimately that enables us to work with more clients early on in our life as a company uh, and, uh, and actually focus on um, you know, larger uh, clients and portfolios in the shorter term to get us to that, that um, kind of escape velocity to be able to work with the retail market. Uh, and I would say that the yeah. real focus of the company and, and our company so far is really this idea of personalization, right? No two right. people have the same definition of sustainability. No two people have the same value mm. set because we all have our own experiences in life. And so to be able to enable clients to ultimately define what their values are down to very granular levels if they want to um, has been a very powerful process because it's almost like a personal mission statement, right? People actually start to really be able to say, I've always known that I cared about the climate, but I didn't really know what palm oil was. I didn't really know what water intensity meant, but now I do. And it's actually something that I'm reflecting in my portfolio. So it's as much education as it is uh, investing. 
Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So I'd love to leave, I mean, you've, you've given so much good advice, but I'd love to leave the listeners with maybe one takeaway. And I love the idea of of creating your your personal investing mission statement. So if somebody was interested in doing this and maybe figuring out those issues, those sustainability issues that they were really passionate about, what kind of homework would you give them? Oh, very good question. There's a lot of books that I could uh, suggest, but I don't know if we have time for that. Um, I would definitely say feel free to uh, sign up on the website and we can uh, send people uh, materials, of course. But I think honestly, just just getting educated, right? Um, you know, reading as much as you can. Uh, and and uh, as silly as it might seem, um, one of the things that our clients love to do to educate themselves about primary issues is documentaries. Right. There's so oh, much yeah. quality content from the absolute thought leaders in their respective spaces, whether it's climate related or sustainable agriculture related or human rights or human trafficking or criminal justice reform. There are amazing documentaries, many of them on Netflix that you can, you know, flick on, whether it's the 13th or sustainable or, you know, many uh, forks over knives. There's so many good uh, pieces of content you can watch that give you a basis to then further explore and further dig into those specific areas and and really kind of chase what it is that you're passionate about in your uh, respective values area. I love that. I'm a huge documentary geek, so <laughs> you speak in my language. Yes, no, as, as are we. Well, Jay, this has been amazing. If you could tell the listeners where they could go to find out more about Ethic and connect to you, that would be fantastic. Of course. Yeah, you can find us at uh, ethic.investments. Please you know, sign up through the website, reach out through that, uh, and we can have myself or one of the team uh, get back to you and hopefully provide as much information as we can about anything you're inquiring about. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Cheers. Thanks so much for checking out this episode and a big thanks to our sponsors that make this show possible. Remember to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. But before you leave, I want to empower you to embrace where you are today, the good and the not so good. And remember, nothing lasts forever. Just keep taking small steps every day and remember how awesome you truly are.